going to ask you to turn with me for just a few moments this morning to the book of 2 Peter. We're going to continue a series in this New Testament letter we began last week. And we're going to be studying 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. As we look at this section, I want to emphasize the importance of what I would call transitional words or statements because those help us to see the context and the purpose of the author. Sometimes we can find ourselves studying a section of Scripture that, that has much to be said for the message on a standalone basis. In other words, you look at a verse, you look at a paragraph, you look at a passage, you don't even have to consider the context, and there's, there's value in studying it. But at times, if we do not look closely at the context, then, then we miss maybe some deeper teaching that the inspired author meant for us to glean from that particular passage. So, for example, you'll look in verse 12, and you'll see the word, therefore. And what's the question we always ask? Well, it's the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, that points back to the preceding verses. You look at verse 16. There's the word, and I'm reading from the New American Standard. There's the word for. So that's, that's transitional. You look at the verse 19. So we have the prophetic word. That's transitional. And then you go to chapter 2 and verse 1. And you see that chapter 2, verse 1 begins, but false prophets. So it's a continuation of thought previously expressed by the author. Now I say all that, number one, because it's important, but I say it number two because it'll help you understand the title of this lesson, Preparing for the False Prophets. Now you probably have never heard a denominational preacher or a TV evangelist preach a sermon on preparing for the false prophets. I mean, it just has a negative connotation to it. It, it, it sounds almost like one of these premillennial, apocalyptic type of sermons where we're looking for some great false prophet to arise on the scene of human history. And yet that's not what we're referring to this morning. I'm really referring to what Peter is addressing in this epistle. I mentioned last week, or at least sometime, that there's a lot of similarity between 2 Peter and the book of Jude. They were both written at about the same time, and they seem, seemingly were written to, to address many of the same issues. And that's a body of false doctrine that was developing maybe the middle of the first century, closer to, toward the end of the, the first century, especially toward the end of the first century. But if you look at chapter 2 and verse 1, Let's read that verse before we go back and look at the main body of the lesson. In this particular verse, Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people. And he's referring to false prophets who prophesied during the time of the Old Testament period of history. Just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. 
I've already alluded to the fact that this is somewhat of a negative title. It's somewhat of a, a negative subject. We, we would rather hear things that are, in our minds, going to build us up and, and help us to, to, to be excited about the day or excited about the week. Yet it occurs to me, and I hope it occurs to you as well, that as you read through the New Testament, much of what was written by the apostles addressed religious error. Think about it. Now, why was that the case? Is it because religious error was something that was just unique to the first century? And maybe these days, we, we, we really don't need to give much emphasis to that? Well, I think if you look around you, you'll see a lot of religious error. But the reason we don't think about it, the reason maybe we don't see it, maybe I should say the reason we don't see it is because we don't think about it. You know, you can become desensitized to a body of teaching after a period of time if you've been exposed to it repeatedly. At first, it's alarming. At first, it's so diametrically opposed to what you read in the Scriptures that, that you just stand back and you say, wait a minute, there's something not right about this. But then you hear it over and over and over again, and it's coming from the mouths of people that you actually know, maybe relatives or friends or people that you work with. And in time, you become desensitive to it, and it doesn't impact you quite as much. And that's a real danger. That's a real danger because what's happening is we're setting ourselves up for, for spiritual failure. And so it's for that reason that I want to speak on these verses within the context of this warning to beware of false prophets. How do you prepare for that? And I guess another way of asking that is, well, how do I prepare myself spiritually and mentally so that whenever that, that religious error begins to make its way into my, my daily life, that I'm prepared for. How, how do I do that? Well, I think these verses answer that question. And the first thought that I would call to your mind is to remember. Remember the basis of salvation. Verse 12, therefore, and if you go back to the first 11 verses, he writes about salvation. He, he writes about the, the, the great and magnificent promises that have been granted to us as a result of the Lord's glory and His excellence. How that we can become partakers of the, the divine nature and how that if we will grow in these certain virtues, setting them alongside our faith, we'll never stumble. And how that as we grow in the, the, the knowledge, the true knowledge of Jesus then the end result of that is that the eternal kingdom of God, the entrance, will be abundantly supplied to us. And that's how he ends verse 11. Therefore, I will always, this is the Apostle Peter writing, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Based upon what is at stake, based upon what might happen, if you give in to teaching that's going to take you away from a true knowledge of Jesus, I do not hesitate to remind you, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you, 
I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. As long as I'm alive, I'm going to continue to emphasize what serves as the basis of your salvation. I don't want you to lose this. I don't want you to allow those who would, who would take you away from the truth to do so, realizing what's at stake. Knowing, verse 14, that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, so also as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. Now that takes us back to a conversation that Jesus had with Peter in John, as recorded in John chapter 21. When, when Jesus pretty much let Peter know that when you're an old man, you're going to die. Well, he probably already knew that. But he was letting Peter know, you're, you're going to suffer death for my, my sake, for, for my cause. And history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down, refusing to be crucified in the same fashion as, as Jesus. So now at, at the, the advanced stage of life, that's going through his mind more often. And because he knows that his time is limited, he's going to take advantage of every opportunity to teach and to remind those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus to continue in those things that they've been taught. Verse 15, And I also will be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. As the New Testament came into existence, initially, it was memory, pretty much. You had inspired teachers, inspired preachers who would come and they would teach and they would preach, but there was not a written record of what they taught. But now Peter is writing these things. And he wants it to serve as a reminder to them to never lose sight of the basis of their salvation. Do you need that reminder? Do you need to be reminded? If, if, you're, if you're drifting away, if you're beginning to believe things that at one point in your life you never would have believed, something that is so opposed to the truth, you need a reminder. In Philippians chapter 3, we see Paul doing this with the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. And then in verse 2, beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Well, these, these were the Judaizing teachers who were coming along and saying that, that yeah, it's okay, you believe in Jesus, but you also have to practice the rites under the old law as well. That wasn't right. And they needed to be warned about those things. In Jude, verse 5, I mentioned a moment ago that, that Jude is very similar in teaching to Second Peter. But in Jude, verse 5, no, I desire to remind you. I desire to remind you. And remember, Jude was going to write about their common salvation, but then he, he thought about these threats that were being made to the truth, that were being made to their faith, because there were certain persons, verse 4, who had crept in unnoticed, those who were teaching things that weren't the truth. And so he had to remind them of how God will judge. If you become unfaithful, 
God will judge. God judged those who he brought out of the land of Egypt. God judged angels who abandoned their proper abode. God brought judgment against Sodom and Gomorrah because they lived in sin. <coughs> Excuse me. Remember, if you want to be prepared for the inevitable in your life, and that is exposure to that which can destroy your faith, you need to be constantly reminding yourself. I like the statement in 1 John chapter 2. It's an interesting statement beginning at verse 21. 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. Listen to this. Think about this logic. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because... You do know it. And because no lie is of the truth. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth. Think about that. I'm not telling you this because you don't know the difference between right and wrong. I'm telling you this because you do know it. But you need to remember, no lie is of the truth. And then verse 22, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. The one who does not have a true knowledge of Jesus. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Chapter 4, verse 1, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this... You know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. And now it's already in the world. Think about that. How many times do you hear sermons about the coming of the Antichrist? And we hear that over and over again. And we start believing that we're waiting for the coming of the Antichrist when John said 2,000 years ago, it's already here. That's just an illustration of how we can become desensitized to the truth and start believing what is a lie. And that can happen if we fail to remind ourselves. One final verse, and we'll move to our second point, 2 John verse 9. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. If it's contrary to what the scriptures teach about Jesus in any way, they don't have God. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jesus said, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of their sins. Someone comes along and says, you don't have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. You can be saved before you're baptized. Well, we hear that enough. And all of a sudden, we start thinking that our family, which has never been baptized, for the remission of sin. They've been baptized as an outer expression of an inward faith. But we start thinking they're okay. What did John say? Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Is that serious? <laughs> the one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And then he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching... Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. Is that serious language? 
Remember the basis of your salvation. Secondly, stand on eyewitness testimony. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Four. Notice, now he writes we. He had been writing I. Now he transitions to we. We did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What's he writing about? Verse 17, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration. Talking about the transfiguration. Go to Luke chapter 9. Who are the we? Well, the, the, the we are the inner circle, that, that group of apostles that Jesus seemed to take more under his wing, I guess we could say, than, than perhaps the others. But in Luke chapter 9, you'll notice beginning at verse 28, and this is what Peter there is writing about. If you want to be prepared for the, the error, the religious error, you need to listen to those who were there. You ever heard that saying, I was there? You know, that, that sort of seems to carry some weight. Luke chapter 9, verse 28, some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was pr praying, the appearance of his face became different. And his clothing became white and gleaming. Remember, Peter wrote, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in the presence of Jesus and Moses and Elijah? Elijah standing as a representative of all the prophets, and Moses standing as a representative of, of the old law, the law and the prophets. Here they are. And there's Jesus. Verse 31, who appearing in glory themselves were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. We're having a conversation about Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. Wow, what a, what a Bible class. <laughs> now here goes Peter. Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep. Well, if that won't wake you up, I don't know what will. But when they were fully awake... They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Oh, yeah. Let us make three tabernacles. This is a great idea. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. The last word has not yet been spoken on this matter. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. 
Listen to prophecy. Listen to the law. But you listen first to Jesus. That's the message of the eyewitness. You and I, we need to listen to the words of Jesus. We need to listen to what the Bible teaches us. If, if we want to stay, stay steadfast in our faith and not veer from it, we need to give emphasis to those who were eyewitnesses, those who were there. Now, you may say, but how can I have the same depth of faith as them if I wasn't an eyewitness? Well, we got a case to address that. It's, it's tough. Doubting Thomas, John chapter 20, verse 24. But Thomas, this was after Jesus is raised from the dead, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And maybe that's another way of saying, you know, this is just too good to be true. I need further evidence. Well, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger. See my hand. Reach here your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. But notice what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believe. Well, how can they be blessed if they did not see? It's because they are standing on eyewitness testimony. What would be easier to produce faith? Standing there, Rubbing your hands along the, 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 the nail imprints. Putting your hand on his side where he was pierced. That would be easier than having to dig and study and meditate and reflect and come to appreciate the authenticity of the, the message preached by the apostles and come to have faith as you continue to to shower your mind with the evidence that is found in the scriptures. That's the more, that's the greater chapter. But that's the lesson that is more deeply learned. And that's why in Acts the second chapter we see the, the New Testament church after its establishment continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They understood. These men were eyewitnesses. That's why we read statements such as that made by John in 1 John chapter 1. He's, he's writing about the fellowship that they could enjoy with him and that he enjoyed with God in Christ. But look at the emphasis. 1 John chapter 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life is manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested, manifested to us. 
what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You can have that deepest level of fellowship. You, you don't have to be an eyewitness yourself. You just listen. You read, you study, you sit at the feet of those who were eyewitnesses. And you'll be prepared. You'll be prepared for anything. You'll be ready when that, that false prophet comes along and begins teaching all these things contrary to the doctrine of Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, this is now, beloved, the second letter, and we see these two first points coming together here. This is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles eyewitness testimony. And this also is a good segue into our final point, which is pay attention to the prophetic word. Going back to 2 Peter now, chapter 1, verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. The prophets spoke. The prophets wrote of the Messiah. They wrote of the establishment of the kingdom, a kingdom that would put an end to all kingdoms. But that prophetic word in our minds was made more sure when we saw Jesus transfigured. When we heard that voice from heaven say, this is my son, here's Elijah, here's Moses, you listen to him. We have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Just get that vision in your mind. Here's a dark place. Here comes a lamp. As the lamp moves, it, it brings light into that, that place of darkness until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. That's a re reference to Jesus, Revelation chapter 22, who is described as a, the morning star. As, as you read the prophets, and you know, we always look at those prophets and it's just hard to read them. It's hard to understand. Amen. It is hard to understand. It's hard to read through 66 chapters of the book of, of Isaiah. It's not easy. What did your parents always tell you? The good things in life aren't easy. The things that really matter aren't easy. But you've got to pay attention to those prophets, the message of those prophets, because as you do, you're going to have faith in the true Jesus. <laughs> but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. doesn't mean we can't interpret Scripture. It just means that this message did not arise from within them without an influence of God through the Holy Spirit upon what they were writing. You know, Isaiah, think about the 53rd chapter of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah knew things that had been revealed to him by God. Did he just say, did he just say, you know what? I think that Messiah, I think that third part of the promise that God made to Abraham that of his seed all nations would, would be blessed, 
I think he is going to be a suffering servant. Yeah, that's what I think. I, I'm going to write that down. No, that's not how it happened. That's not, nobody expected that. It was the Holy Spirit working on his mind that moved him to pen those words. Jeremiah, he wrote that the period of captivity, the Babylonian captivity would be 70 years. Did he just make that up? 70, that's a good number. I think it's going to be 70 years based on everything I've seen, everything, everything that I've read in the news and everything I know about the rise and fall of world empires, everything I've seen about the, the Assyrians and the Babylonians. I think it's going to be 70 years. No, that wasn't of his own private in, in, interpretation. That thought didn't arise in his mind. It was given him by the Holy Spirit for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Well, that now leads me to this last little challenge. Okay, so we if you're reading through the daily reading schedule, what have you been reading lately? In the newsletter. You've been reading from Isaiah. You're starting Jeremiah. For the rest of this year. Hey! For the rest of this year, you're going to be reading prophecy. You do well to pay attention. You do well to pay attention to the prophecies. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. And as to this salvation, remember the basis of salvation. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They didn't understand everything that they wrote. But they made careful search and inquiries. Do you? I don't understand everything I read. Do I make careful search and inquiry? It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. That's even more reason. That's even more reason to make careful search and inquiry. To pay close attention to the prophetic word which has been made more certain. Because it's for me. In these things which, you have, now, which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. What do you think those angels think when they see us just flippantly approaching God's Word? And just, I don't need the books of prophecy. Hebrews chapter 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in His Son. So God spoke through the prophets in our time. He has spoken to us through his son. For this reason, chapter 2, verse 1, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After what it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, eyewitnesses, 
God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. I think about those disciples on the road to Emmaus who initially, when they saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead, did not recognize him. And, and they were asking Jesus about the things that had happened. And that, that was the, the death and the, the, the burial and the resurrection of, of Jesus. And then Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 25, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Well, what's that going to do for me? Look at verse 32. I'll tell you what it's going to do for you. It's going to set your heart on fire. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Is your heart on fire? You know, if your heart's not on fire for the Lord, if it's not on fire for the truth, man, you're, you're set up for failure. You'll believe anything. When that false prophet comes along, it's not going to be difficult for him or her to take you away from the truth. We've got to listen. We've got to listen to Jesus. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Pay attention to the prophetic word. And you'll be ready. You'll be ready. The lesson is yours. If you're here this morning and you never obeyed the gospel. What an amazing story we have in the Bible. A story of God's love. A story of God at work throughout the centuries. Bringing people up to a time of which Paul said, when the fullness of time came, he sent forth his son. We're about to sing a song. The purpose of the song is to encourage those as the angels sit on the seat and await because they want to sing with joy when one becomes a child of God. Do you believe the eyewitness testimony? Will you confess your faith, repent of your sins, and then be baptized to have those sins washed away? If such is the case, please come as we stand and sing.